You ready? Showtime. On May 3rd, summer starts with the fall guy. Let's do it later. Let's drink a spicy margarita. Make some bad decisions. Yes. Audiences are falling in love with the most entertaining film of the year. Fall guy. Fall guy. Fall guy. That's what the poster said. See Ryan Gosling and Emily Blunt in the movie critics say exists to make you happy. Trying to make it out? Because nope. I don't either. It's not what I'm into right now. What are you into? Talking. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> the Fall Guy. Only in theaters May 3rd. Read it PG-13. Get ready for the greatest roast of all time. The Roast of Tom Brady. A Netflix live event happening May 5th, hosted by Kevin Hart. The seven-time world champion gets his cleats held to the fire by famous friends and frenemies on an unforgettable night where everything is fair game. Tune in on May 5th at 5 p.m. Pacific time for The Roast of Tom Brady, live only on Netflix. I got to be honest, I, I feel like a little bit hungover this morning, but not because I drank it all last night. It's because I ate a Big Mac and two junior chickens for dinner. That'll that'll give you a <laughs> It definitely uh, slowed me down this morning. Score! Johnny Toronto! I wonder if they can hear it on Long Island. 2 on oh, Lonnie Roslevic, great save by Anderson. Riley stayed on side. The late man, Matthews, great move. What a goal. Beauty, Austin Matthews. Matthews flipped it up for Marner. Mitch Marner centering, Hyman to the net, scores! He took fast down, and his shot trapped him in the corner of the ring. Here we go, episode 25 of Not Another Leafs Podcast on the Hockey Podcast Network, at Kent Stapon, at McCarthy 95 at LeafsPod, at HockeyPodNet. And just a reminder, this podcast is brought to you by DraftKings. It's not quite time for the madness that is college basketball in March, but that doesn't mean the fun has to wait. DraftKings Sportsbook, America's top-rated sportsbook app, is giving all new players the chance to cash $100. New customers can bet $1 on any team to hit a three-pointer in any basketball game this week. And if your team makes it, you rain $100 in cash. That's right. All it takes is one three-pointer being made by your chosen team to turn $1 into $100. That sounds like a no-brainer. This is a slam dunk offer that won't be around forever, so head to the App Store now. Download the DraftKings Sportsbook app and get in on all the action. If basketball isn't for you, well, DraftKings Sportsbook has daily odds on hockey, soccer, and so much more. DraftKings has paid out over $7 billion to its customers since 2012, so they know a thing or two about big paydays. What do we want you to do? Download the DraftKings Sportsbook app now and use promo code THPN to get your shot to turn $1 into $100 anytime you bet on one team to make a three-pointer in any basketball game this week. That's promo code THPN for new customers to get a shot at $100 on a $1 bet only at DraftKings Sportsbook. Must be 21 or older in New Jersey, Indiana, Michigan, and Virginia. New customers only restrictions apply. Winnings are paid out in four $25 free bets. See DraftKings.com slash Sportsbook for details. If you have a gambling problem, call 1-800-GAMBLER or in Indiana, 1-800-9-WITH-IT or in Virginia, call 888-532-3500. BMAC, what's happening, brother? Kenny, what's happening, my man? Good to see you. When have we seen that finish before? Only a, sh- a few short months ago in, in the playoff bubble where the Leafs seem to always turn it on late. And what a relief that must feel for William Nylander. Obviously taking heat every night on Twitter, but his coach 
benching him a few nights ago, sending a message, and clearly it worked. Message sent, message received. I think Willie needed this one big time last night. And you could even tell the other players in the postgame presser, you heard Zach Hyman speaking after the game and basically saying, you know, Willie's been catching a lot of flack, but nobody knows how hard he works. Nobody knows how important he is in our, his ro- in our room. And nobody knows how much he cares about the team and about making sure that they succeed. So a big, big monkey off the back for William Nylander to get a pair. And now it's up to him to continue to build on the success they had last night with the late garbage time goal. And then the really beautiful goal in overtime where he showcased that skill set that we see where he can really dominate the game and really just take over the game. And in overtime, that's a skill set three on three where his skills come to the forefront and he's able to cash in and uh, score the game winner in OT. Yeah, I mean, it would have been ridiculous if Riddick was able to shut out uh, a highly talented offense in the Maple Leafs in six periods. Like, imagine we're waking up today and the Leafs were shut out in, in two games by a backup goaltender. I mean, David Riddick is not that good. And the Leafs had a... <laughs> he looked pretty good in the last two. <laughs> I, think, I, think, I think the Leafs had a flurry of chances last night, but not like prime opportunities. Like, Mikheyev, everyone was like highlighting that. I'm like, he just shot it right at him. I mean, there, there weren't any like prime chances but they just made Riddick look so good. Okay, you bring up Mikheyev. I wanted to get into him a little bit later, but since he's already up in conversation now, we'll go with it. Mikheyev, to me, is like a runaway train when he's on the ice. Like, he always like he just much. Gets, he gets separation all the time. On the penalty kill, it seems like he's on a breakaway every other penalty kill. But then once he gets the separation, it's like there's no control. It's like he's just hard in on the net. He's got the stone hands, no finish. I don't know what's going on this year because we've noted before he was basically way more productive last season up until the point he was injured. He was basically getting, you know, I think he had like uh, 15 goals or something like that on the year. So certainly much more productive in that third line role. I don't know what's going on this year. He's just completely snake bitten. He is. and But how do you like send if you're Keith, it's like he's doing everything right, though. I can't sit him. I can't scratch him. He's still a good piece in the top six. He can be moved around. He's a movable player, but you can't, you can't really point fingers at the guy, but I I agree with you. He can't finish, but he's like the fastest player on the team ever since Kapanen left. Yeah. The work ethics there, I think is that's really alluding to. It's not as if you see many games where you're sitting there and saying, you know, Mikheyev wasn't out there skating or he wasn't trying or he Lacking wasn't effort. Yeah, yeah, he was laboring around. It's like it's actually the opposite of that. He just seems to be buzzing around out there all the time. I don't know if he just maybe he just needs to work with uh, the skills coaches that they're always talking about with the Toronto Maple Leafs to finish on uh, those breakaways because it just hasn't been there for him this season. And certainly they're going to need some more production out of those, you know, depth winger roles and it's not as if he hasn't had opportunities he's played with on the wing with john Tavares and william nylander i believe he's played on the wing with austin matthews and mitch marner not for extended periods of time but he's going to need to figure something out here if uh, they're going to have success down the stretch because depth scoring will become important at some point and if that's in the postseason if they can make it into the postseason without it that's fine but you're going to need your secondary players to contribute some sort of uh contribution on the offensive side of the puck Right, and speaking of depth guys and secondary guys, Keith has made it a priority of his to get these guys into situations where they can be successful, put them in a certain position or certain situation, like a power play where they can thrive and get a spark. Because we've seen in the past couple games, VC, Patan, Boyd, slotting in with the big dogs on the top power play. Is it a 
su- su- successful move, it's risky. And we saw a couple times last night where it just wasn't working. And obviously, you know what Keith is trying to do. But at some point, Ken, you're rolling with your top dogs to get it done. And ultimately, they closed it out. But kind of weird to see the, I'd say, the odd man out on, on the top power play in it because it's just, it wasn't working. It hasn't been working. Like the top power play, I don't, don't want to parade this power play unit because the last time I checked, they were first in the league, although going 0 for 11 in the last two games could have changed that. I thought on Monday, it was much worse where they didn't really have that many scoring opportunities, even given the seven power plays. Last night, I thought they were at least generating a little bit more when they had the puck in the offensive zone, but certainly this has got to be the strength of this team if they're going to be successful down the stretch here. And we've seen the success early on the season when they were operating at you know over 40%. Now, certainly that wasn't going to translate for the rest of the year, but the last two games, they have looked absolutely dreadful. Now, I believe that probably that's other teams adjusting to what they were doing on the power play before. Like when you're just scoring every goal, it's being passed down to Matthews in his office and he's just hammering at home. Teams are going to adjust to that. So now the Maple Leafs need to adjust and get some more looks from other areas of the ice, move the puck around a little bit more and become less predictable. Because I feel like that's the issue with this power play right now is they're just a predictable bunch. They need to simplify the game, get some more pucks on net and try to get Tavares some of those gritty goals in front of the net that he's become so famous for scoring to get everybody going because it's not working what they were doing over the last two games. Clearly opponents, especially in North, are circling in on that Marner to Matthews in his office goal. I mean, you can't work every time, but it was, as we said before, it was becoming routine. So now teams are starting to understand their scheme, their style and the power play. And you saw it Monday night. Now, given the Leafs didn't have a flurry of crisp chances, crisp passes on the power play, and the Flames are able to shut them down on the PK, but... Yeah, it's it's wasn't gelling there, and they were able to ultimately close it in game two of the mini-game series. But really, the, the biggest difference for me from Monday and Wednesday is, you know, there's so much spotlight on Tavares and Marner and Matthews, but Hyman, Thornton, and Muzzin both out, three of the most important pieces on this Leafs team. And even having Hyman back for Wednesday was huge. Got an assist on the equalizer, on Willie's equalizer. But again, just the little things he does away from the puck. You know Hyman's game. Yeah. Right? It's it's so key, and it was definitely missed Monday. So without Muzzin, Thornton, and Hyman, I think we're pretty much doomed in the playoffs. Those are th- and, and Simmons, of course, but he's not going to come. Like, he's going to probably be the last to come back out, out of the three I've mentioned. And just really noticeable when you don't have those guys in the lineup. Well, I want to ask you this question as well. Which injury do you think has influenced them or affected them the most? And when I, I'm going to leave Freddie Anderson out of this because it sounds like it's just going to be a shorter term with him. He said that he could be available next week, but obviously they've missed Jack Campbell for extended period of time. Wayne Simmons is another guy who's missed extended period of time, and we aren't sure the timeline for Jake Muzzin. Um, Sheldon Keith seemed optimistic about it, but anytime I hear facial fracture, yeah. I tend to err on the side of caution and think that uh, – he might miss a little bit of time. Now, hopefully for Toronto, it's not an extended period of time because we know how important he is to their back end. But which injury of those three do you think has been has affected the team the most, I guess? I think it has to be Jake Muzzin. I mean, he, he is arguably the most important Leafs defenseman, not in terms of flash and, and skill and production, but 
he is a staple on the back end. And for playoffs especially, there's going to be a lot of times, a lot of situations where Keith is going to have to rely on on one of his big dogs in the back end, and that is Jake Muzzin. And he has dealt with a ton of injuries since he arrived in Toronto. I think he had a broken hand or something last year before the pandemic hit and the league shut down and play was suspended. But, man, yeah, broken bone in the face. Like, that doesn't sound like he'd be back anytime soon. So I think that injury would influence the Leafs' play the most. I know I agree with you on Muzzin, but I'm going to go a different road. I'm going to say Jack Campbell. And the reason that I'm going to say Jack Campbell is because of the games and the workload that have been started by Frederick Anderson in his stead. 16 games now Anderson has started on the year, and the majority of them have been since Campbell left. I believe he started 10 and 11 straight after the Campbell injury. And there's been so much made to do about Frederick Anderson's performance, not only in the regular season, but in the playoffs. And in large part, I think a lot, big part of the reason that he struggled has been the fact that he's been ridden down the stretch in these last several years because the Leafs can't separate themselves and establish themselves in a solidified playoff spot. And there hasn't been a bona fide backup. The injury to Campbell has increased the workload to Frederick Anderson. Who's to say ultimately leading to an injury, which is going to cause him to miss a week or two and really bust them to their third string goalie as their definitive starter and Michael Hutchinson. Now the good news for Toronto is that Hutchinson played a really good game last night. I thought he was solid. And that's uh, something that Maple Leaf fans can hang their hat on and be pretty happy about. But you don't want him to be the starter for a definitive length of time. And the injury to Jack Campbell missing a substantial amount of time has been extremely detrimental to this team. And even on the Leafs bench, when they panned the Leafs bench yesterday, I'm watching the game yesterday with my roommate, and he goes, who's that? It's like, oh, it's Joseph Wall. It's like, well, that's the problem, right? That's the not goalie, good. The, the goalie depth just keeps <laughs> getting depleted. So yeah. if, if anything were to happen, I mean, you saw, I, I believe Anderson might have tweaked something against Montreal. But if something similar to that, you know, effect happened with uh, Michael Hutchinson, I mean, man, then you're down to, then you almost wish, like, wish we had Aaron Dell. But anyway, that ship has sailed. So it's it's important, too. I agree. Jack Campbell is, is again, th- their backup that they've been, looking for for so many years and he, he would be a huge piece for even even a deep run as well because this could even just be for Anderson's sake Kenny to just too much they, they only turned to, to Hutchinson because of an injury Anderson played 10 straight games yeah so it might no, just it, be a, it might just primarily be a workload thing he's just dog tired well, it's kind of like you play 10 in a row and then you're overextending yourself. Maybe you're just tired right. and then you're stretching out for that kick save in the third period and you pull a muscle. Tweak I, think that, they're, like, I think that they're directly correlated. And we yeah. see this all the time when goaltenders are overworked that they can be susceptible to these injuries that are largely based on fatigue. So missing Campbell for the extended period of time. And obviously, you know, Sheldon Keefe can say all the things about Michael Hutchinson. He wants in the press conferences saying that they're comfortable or whatever, but at the end of the day, he's not starting him. And so I think that says all you need to know about the team and the organization's confidence in Hutchinson. And the funny thing you bring up Aaron Dell, the funny thing about that is this is another circumstance that was kind of brought on by the barrage of injuries that this team has faced, because you look at, you look at you know them having to move him out. It was basically based off of you know salary cap crunch and having to move all these contracts around, which ultimately happened because Nick Robertson gets injured early on in the year, and then all of a sudden you have to you know be moving 
contracts around, bringing guys up, bringing guys down, and then you don't have enough room. You have to send him through waivers, and he gets claimed by New Jersey. So ultimately, this team's been fairly snake bitten by injuries, it seems. I, I mean, I'm sure every team has injury problems, but it seems like the Maple Leafs have had a ton this year. I believe they've had pretty close to 50 man games lost. And I think that's right around the league average, like right in the middle there. So they've been pretty successful so far at fighting through that. But certainly they're going to need Muzzin back. They're going to need Simmons back. They're going to need Thornton back. And they're going to need all these players to stay healthy if they're going to be successful down the stretch and solidify a a top seed in the playoffs. I'll be it. I'm not sure how much that matters because there's not really home ice advantage. But B, I'll be able to rest a little bit. Like especially not just and it's not just Freddie Anderson. I want Joe Thornton, you know, taking some less less minutes down the stretch here. I want him to be taking some games off before the playoffs to make sure that he's going to be fresh entering, you know, what how old is he? 42. He's going to be entering the playoffs for probably like the 16th time or something preposterous like that. Like he's going to need to be rested for that. He is. And this is where, you know, the top line experiment can only go on so much because you're really going to have to manage his minutes and have him in roles where he can thrive in, in a lesser role. And, and for a, a, a playoff built team that is, you know, set on making a deep run, they need Thornton for those games, but not in a, in a big role. He's, he's past that. He's past those San, San Jose days. And I think he would fit greatly into a, into a third, third line role down the stretch and into the playoffs. But on the injury note, Kenny, uh, perhaps maybe the Leafs are covering something up again with the Matthews wrist injury. And you could just tell that caught me by surprise was really, really struggling last night. And obviously his passes at points weren't as crisp as they normally are. And he's getting his wrist taped up on the bench. Keith says it's not that big a deal, but man, he looks like it, it was, it was really troubling him. It was nagging him. And it's a bit of a, bit of a question mark there too. So this is uh, something they need to monitor down the stretch here. Well, this was actually going to be my tweet of the day. So maybe I'll just squeeze it in right here. Uh, <laughs> so I think it was Terry Koshan tweeted out after the game that Sheldon Keefe was suggesting that Matthews, that's why he didn't start in overtime with Marner was because his wrist was bothering him. He didn't feel confident that he was going to be able to win the face off. But then he further went on to say, that this wrist injury has been bothering him all year. I'm just like, that is preposterous. Yeah, he's going shelf on. (laughs) Yeah, that this guy is like scoring, you know, at such a clip and he's been dealing with a wrist injury. Like, it's not preposterous. I'm not saying it's like, oh, they're trying to like, you know, pull the wool over the eyes or like make something of it that's not. But no, it's how he's scoring at at this pace. Yeah, yeah, with with an injured wrist. Like, how is the release not suffered? Like, I, I can't believe that, but yikes! Uh, absolutely incredible stuff from Matthews. And you hope that it's not too serious where it's going to affect his output down the stretch because this guy has a legitimate candidacy for the Hart Trophy the way he's been playing to this point in the year. There's been a few games this year where you go, man, if there were fans in attendance for that, you, you just like last, last night was a perfect, perfect example. I mean, all we're going to get from that game is that aerial view of everyone swarming the crease except Riley on which led to Nylander's equalizer. It's just going to turn into like a mural or something, but fan fans in attendance for that, for that game last night would have just been, it would have been chaotic. I think the roof would have blown off. I'm not even (laughs) exaggerating just because those type of games, like I've been at those, I'm sure you have two before. I've been at those games before or watched those games, those weeknight games where it's just 
dull, dull hockey. Like nothing is happening. No goals. No highlights. Like the only Scotia highlight. Bank Arena, it's just quiet. I wouldn't even say Mikhaev's goal or, or almost goal was a highlight. You'd, you'd show like Matthews struggling with a wrist injury and then <laughs> just skip to the third. This is yeah, what they, happened, but man, like there's no hauling notes going. Like even even the Flames, it was just it was yeah, it was just a bummer of a game. Yeah, yeah certainly it would have been uh it would have been pretty loud. And you know, I was watching on Twitter afterward as well, and the Canadiens fans were so pissed off <laughs> that that goal counted, Good. that the Nylander goal counted after they got uh their goal disallowed the other night by Brendan Gallagher. They ended up uh, leading to the loss for them. And what an absolute like they were just... blank show that game was. Oh, my God. But we'll yeah. get into that and Claude Julian later. Yeah, yeah. Speaking of which, uh, yeah, let's go to Around the League. All right. Speaking of your boy, Claude Julian, he has been dismissed by Mark Bergevin and the Montreal Canadiens. What are your initial thoughts on Claude getting the hook in Montreal? I was pretty pissed and disappointed for him, considering, you know, two weeks ago, Kenny, the Leafs and Habs were duking it out for first in the Scotia North, and the Habs lose a couple of tight games, and suddenly he gets to snip, and you could talk about, you know, Bergevin being handcuffed because he was one of the most, well, the busiest GM in the offseason in terms of spending, and this is the move he had to take, and, you know, really, did they need a new voice? Did they need a new message? I think generally a reactionary impulse move from the top. And I think, I don't think it was, it was necessary. It's not like they're out of the playoffs that they, they slipped down to fourth and they still have a, a not a considerable lead, but a, a lead over the fifth place team. I don't think it was the right move. And they wanted that. They want a young coach now with Dominique Ducharme who coached the world junior Canada team a few years ago. Maybe they want to get someone in there who was younger, you know, Ducharme's 47, Julian's 60, but still a, a, a world-class coach in Julian. I hope hopefully he can get back into the league and, and, and coach relatively soon. Your move, Seattle. Yeah, probably. I think that they'd be lucky to have him. Uh, yeah. He's obviously very established, and I think that he did get kind of a raw deal here. I'm with you on that. And yeah. the team hasn't been performing well over the last couple of weeks. Something's been going on uh, behind the scenes. I don't know what it is, but you heard Shea Weber speak out over the weekend saying that there's been a little bit of uh, animosity or discourse in the Montreal room. And whenever a player like Shea Weber, the captain comes out and exposes that publicly, it's going to draw some attention. And certainly it did end up drawing the attention of the Montreal media and ended up drawing the attention of the fan base. And certainly it ends up drawing the attention of Cloud Julian. Now, Bergman was very complimentary of the job that Julian has done in his tenure with Montreal. I think that this is just a, last ditch effort from Bergevin to save, save the bacon, save himself really. Cause it's really one of the yeah. last, one of the last things that a GM can do is fire the coach. And he's gone through a couple coaches. Now he's gone through Michelle Terrian. Now he's gone through Claude Julian. I'm not sure who was the coach before Terrian. I believe that was the first of Bergevin's tenure, but he's really in year eight now of the rebuild. And what does Montreal have to show for it? They haven't really been a perennial threat over the last little while, it certainly seems like they were going to be at the beginning of this season. I heard PJ Stock talking about this on Overdrive the other night. It's as if Montreal fans took the beginning of this season and forgot what was happened for the last four or five years prior to this. Like last year, they were in 25th 
and they end up getting a gift-wrapped playoff spot by getting into the play-on rounds, and then they end up beating Pittsburgh, and then all of a sudden everything's okay because the team is back. Then you come out, you make some moves, you bring in Josh Anderson. Wow, that looks great. You bring in Tyler Toffoli. He's scoring lights out against the Vancouver Canucks, who are also basically an AHL team at this point. They haven't seemed to find their identity of what it was last year. And so everybody's everything's going great. Like They're a juggernaut. They're the best team in the league. Everybody's happy. And then all of a sudden they start to go on a little bit of a slide and some of the weaknesses that have always been there get to be exposed. Your goaltender and Carey Price, who's making you know a boatload of money, isn't playing like the best goaltender in the league. You know, you're having difficulty now putting up the offense without definitive top end offensive talent and the wheels sort of start to come off. And ultimately, Bergevin's feeling the free heat from the ownership and he decides to gas the coach. Now for Julian's sake, he'll end up coaching again tomorrow because this is how the NHL carousel goes. I think that Seattle would likely be an attractive destination for him. Um, probably a low-pressure situation, comparatively, when you're talking about what he'd be going through in Montreal versus what he'd be going through in Seattle. A nice startup there. I think uh, Ron Francis has a tremendous amount of respect for the kind of coach that Claude Julien would be behind the bench. So certainly, I think that would be an organic fit. I'm just not sure if uh, Duchard is going to come in and shuffle the deck and turn this thing around for Montreal. Um, hopefully he's got a little bit more of a new school attitude. He can probably open up the way that they play the game a little bit. As you remember, when Julian departed in Boston, one of the first things that Cassidy and his staff did was change the system to make it a little bit more free flowing and give the players a little bit more offensive, um, I guess, offensive freedom just to buzz around and try to create for themselves. And that's worked tremendously well. Um, hopefully that's what Duchard can do in Montreal. But certainly I was very surprised by this firing when I woke up to it the other morning. We were actually just talking in the last pod if there was a Canadian coach who was going to lose their job. And we highlighted it being Jeff Ward or Travis Green as being two of the guys who were on the hot seat. And then obviously, because we brought that up, it was neither of those guys. It was actually the more established bench boss, Claude Julian, who ends up getting the hook. Uh, 19-year-old Trevor Zegras, who was the World Junior Tournament MVP uh, just a little over a month ago, made his NHL debut with the Anaheim Ducks this week. I actually had a chance to... He is my boy, man. I think think my managers do that (laughs) because I covered his first game. Uh, two shots, just over 13 minutes of ice time. But, man, he was so crisp with his passes. Jakob Silverberg was praising him at first intermission, just saying how how crafty he is with the puck. And, obviously, he's undersized a little bit. He's just under 170, so he was getting knocked around pretty uh, pretty frequently. But, you know, Dallas Eakins is, is certainly going to manage his his minutes as, as we move forward here. But like liking what I'm seeing from the 19-year-old, and he, look, he looks uh, very comfortable and... and smooth in his position right now so congrats to Zegris because he is going I think he has the ability to be a top five scorer in this league how tall is he wow that's high praise yeah I I believe it he's six feet six feet okay so he'll grow into his size then I mean when I was you know his age I was probably around the same size around six foot 175 pounds soaking wet so he'll certainly put on a couple extra pounds just sneak in some protein shakes from uh, the trainers over the next couple of months uh the off season is a great time for that to be putting on the weight so i wouldn't be worried about his size necessarily but obviously we saw his offensive capabilities during the world junior championships and this guy was scoring at an absolutely blistering place i believe the most player most points rather by any american player ever in the tournament. So we know that he can do it. Yeah. 
un, un, absolutely an unbelievable talent, and certainly he will be a treat to watch. And the Anaheim Ducks are lucky to have him as a young part of their forward core moving into the future. And I think we should talk about him once again because, of course, he's making headlines for another interview. It's Bike Babcock. Bike Babcock. Or whatever you say, Bike Babcock. <laughs> oh, man. Okay. So for those of – I'm sure that everybody's seen it. If you're listening to this podcast, you're obviously probably a Toronto Maple Leafs enthusiast. So you're all obviously following, I'm assuming, the TSN.ca and Sportsnet and all that. So Mike Babcock did an interview earlier this week with Christine Simpson. And I'm really mad about it. <laughs> just baloney, like, man. Like, it's I just baloney. can't. It, it, the whole thing is just like, it's it's just getting ridiculous. Like, it's quite frankly, it's just getting ridiculous to this point. Like, he keeps playing the pity card and saying, oh, you know, I didn't get a fair shot in Toronto. And, you know, trying to build up his character as if he's you know, the stand-up guy. I'm just like, man, you know, the track record is there. Like there's so many players who have had issues with this man as their head coach. You know, you talk about the mule Johan Franzen saying that he had issues with anxiety and mental health, you know, after being coached by Mike Bagpuckock because of the tactics he was used. We we've talked about Madonna, him scratching him for 1,499 career games and leaving him on that number. So we ended his career without being able to get to 1,500. We talk about scratching Jason Spezza in the opener after he chooses to come to Toronto playing against his former team, the Ottawa Senators. I mean, the list goes on and on. So I want to hear from Mike Babcock now. It's like, oh, yeah, uh, you can't be – you can't have a family that I have or you can't have had the success that I have unless you're a good person. Certainly you can. He's a hell of a hockey coach. You know, I wish the best for him in his career as he's moving on. But I don't want this, you know, pity parade where now all of a sudden, you know, it was – he was mistreated – when he was in the Toronto market or, you know, he was, you know, he's been treated unfairly in his, the reaction of the fan base and the league after he left. No, it's some of this, some of the stuff that he did just came to light and now NHL owners are not happy about it. So he's not going to get to coach in the NHL again because of the things that he did while he was an NHL head coach. And I want to hear, uh, I want to throw the pity party. I'm like, I'm done. I'm done with Mike Babcock and trying to play the victim. Because this is what bullies do. We've all dealt with this before in our life where somebody just treats everybody around them terribly. And then when they, they get pushback, all of a sudden they're the victim. And it drives me crazy. Well, it's stupid because it's just gobbledygook. What, he, what he's saying. It's just it, he doesn't he doesn't actually own his mistakes. He'll briefly mention it, but he'll always defend himself in a way that's just going to be, you know, well, in his mind won't affect him in the future it's infuriating it's absolutely infuriating and this is a guy i believe it was like his first year as coach in an interview he was saying mental toughness is a big difference between there's a big difference between mental toughness and mental health was one of his lines and for for babcock it's like yeah but think about what you're saying the way you the way you treat players affects their mental health And the way, like, it's not, it's not so, like, you can be hard on guys. You can, you can be hard on them to pick up their game. But Babcock did it in a way where he, like, infiltrated them to the point where they were questioning playing hockey or showing up to the rink and just losing their passion for the game. I, I, I don't wish him well, man. I think, I think this guy is a schmuck. And every time I I see him pop up on my TV or some interview, it's just, it's absolute garbage, baloney, what he says. And it's just, it's just, ah, it drives me nuts. It drives me yeah. nuts. That's fair. 
And when I say I wish him well, it's like I mean I guess I should rather say I, I wish don't him wish good ill. I don't wish yeah. ill upon him. Yes, is is like what I meant to say. But I don't want to hear any more about you know how he's a good man or how he's owned his mistakes or how he was mistreated in the markets and it was too difficult of a job. And you know now he's saying you know uh, the success that they've had this year, the them being the Toronto Maple Leafs. He's like I've watched you know Matthews, Marner, and Riley grow into men. And it's like, shut the hell up. Yeah, you're not their uncle. Like, get out. They don't want to be with you. They don't want to hear from you. Like, like they, 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 stop mentioning them. And so I'm, I'm supposed to believe in the last half of a season, like basically half of a season or whatever last year, whenever he got fired. So like two thirds of the season or whatever the hell it was. So basically it's been like one year since he got fired. Right. And now yeah. all of a sudden these, these, all these players have made the transition from boys to men. In one year since you've been dismissed, yeah. like you had, you had what four years with most of them, five years with most of them, and now they're men because they're yeah. first in the Scotiabank North Division and they're dominating. Yeah. And Austin Matthews is leading the league in goals, and all of a sudden now it, it was like, oh, he's a different player, he's a more mature player. And although that might be true, I don't want to hear. I, I just don't. I don't want to hear it. I don't want to hear it. Oh well, what Babcock says goes, right? So, you know. Of course, he just preaches all these mantras and and philosophies that apparently have to make us feel good about ourselves. But in reality, it's just BS from Babcock. Let's oh, go to your to get I, out. I'm, I'm I'm pissed off. Let's yeah, go, get, I think like, <laughs> let's go to your tweet of the day. Sure, it's uh yeah. Let's add a little levity here. I'm gonna <laughs> I'm, go with uh, I'm so mad. <laughs> I, I I am unreasonably mad. I'm gonna go with JJ Watt. Thing. <laughs> yeah, it's not a, it's not a Babcock tweet. Don't worry to our to our Thank listeners. God. We're done with Babs, but we we'll go with JJ Watt. We'll switch to the gridiron. About it, he tweeted: "Midday naps, loathed as a child, revered in adulthood." I gotta say, I've been taking twenty minute naps, power <laughs> naps, and given given the the uh, you know the shifts we deal with in our industry. It's uh, it's important that you just take a quick twenty minute power nap. It, it does wonders, man. I love it. So I hey, hey, I hear that tweet, JJ Watt. JJ Watt, I'm a big fan of the afternoon nap. I always have been. I've been known to uh, Saturday is like my prime nap day because I usually I'll wake up. I'll do I usually work Friday night and then I'll wake up early, do the radio show Saturday morning, and then I have to go close the bar in the evening. So I gotta sneak in like a quick like ninety minutes in between shifts and it, I just wake up feeling refreshed and then I can uh, go on my way. Now, the one caveat to this is you have to make sure that you don't sleep for too long. Right. Then sometimes you can wake up and be a grumpy bugger. You can. <laughs> well, that's why 20 minutes is so key because yeah. it's just like, it's a, just a quick little recharge, but Hey, it's there. It's a reason why hockey players and athletes have pregame naps, just a little, you know, a little recharge, feel refreshed for the game and your, your way to the races. Sometimes you just got to shut it down for, <laughs> shut for, it a, down. for, for a couple of minutes, you know? Yeah. Get the sleeping mask on. You're good to go. Speaking of shutting it down, let's go to the library bar. All right, BMAC, I know you're always thirsty in the AM, so uh, who you got drinking at the bar this week? I'm going to go with uh, Devin Booker, who replaces Anthony Davis in the All-Star game because he's injured. 
So I think it's huge. I think I think the D book should have been there automatically, given his play of late and in the bubble. I think that kind of solidified it. And of course, you know, he's he's winning off the court as well. So I'm sure he's having a bevy with his uh I believe new girlfriend, Kendall Jenner. What does the bubble have to do with making the all-star game this year? Nothing. Well, I think that kind of set him like that put him on the stage more. Yeah, like, not okay. For this year in particular, no, but like, I, that kind no, of like elevated his 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 spotlight or his. I, his I'm just figure. I'm just busting your balls because I know yeah. what you were trying to say, but yeah, is is like he's had an unreal season. So congratulations to him. And uh, if you had your way, you would just have every player that's uh, having a pretty good season in the All Star game. Well, yeah, I mean, I would I would probably take I know I said last time that you'd probably have to take out Doncic, but I, I would have Lillard over Curry and then I'll take major heat for that. But I would. No, I probably would as well. But Curry will always get the fan voting just yeah. out of uh, just Annoying. based out of like respect and you know what he's done over the last several years. It's like you have, you've seen that so many times where, you know, even with the with the greats like you see like Kobe Bryant Bryant towards the end of his career is always going to be an all-star even though he probably wasn't putting up comparable all-star numbers towards the tail end so it's just a respect thing and uh if you've had a hell of a career in the NBA you're going to continue to get all-star nominations even if you aren't the best player at your position again so certainly I would expect that to continue with Steph Curry moving forward I'm actually going to go with another all-star snub but it was from your Toronto Raptors, and it's Fred Van Fleet. So I know you've picked Van Fleet before in the past, but I think this is the first time that I'll be picking him. I've been covering this team for TSN 1050 this season, and especially with Lowry being out of the lineup, Freddie has carried the load for the Toronto Raptors. And the fact that they were able to come back after starting, you know, what was it, two and eight? Wherever the hell it was, they were so dreadful at the beginning of the year. And now they fight back to get to 500 solidified back into the Eastern playoff race. And it's been so impressive to watch. And it's been by committee. The large part, you know, Norm Powell has contributed. Pascal Siakam has contributed. But at the end of the day, this team runs through Fred when Lowry isn't on the floor. And his ability to take over games late, to hit the clutch three-pointers, has been second to none. And I feel like this was a huge snub for the Toronto Raptors, who now don't get any nominations for making the all-star game, despite the heater that they've been on over about the last month, month and a half, including beating Milwaukee in back-to-back games and then beating Philadelphia earlier this week and then giving them a good run in the second leg of that. So Fred Van Fleet going to be at the bar for me, having a couple bevies thinking about how he won't be celebrating an all-star nomination this season. It's kind of funny too, because like players don't even want to have the all-star game. Like they're just like, this is stupid. They don't want, yeah. They don't want to go. Like, they don't, they don't even want to go. go. <laughs> They don't want to go. They just want the bonus and the contract yeah. and, uh, to get the title. Because like this is one of those things that I don't think it matters as much at the time. And particularly this year, BMAC, because the All-Star game is for the fans, right? Right. Like they do the whole weekends, they do the contests, you know, you get to go see the players. There's it's autograph signings. Yeah, yeah. They just they get to go, you know, hang out with all the best players in the world. A lot of them are buddies who play on like Team USA or Team Wherever mostly team USA though it would seem but it's just a weekend that can be celebrated and enjoyed with the fan base it's but a social there's gathering. no yeah there's no <laughs> fan bases this year there just seems to be cramming it all in obviously it's extra travel for the players on a year where they're already playing a condensed schedule and travel's very strict you know you're dealing with the pandemic as well in addition to all of this so you're just sending them to a new city just kind of 
you know, inadvertently for, for really for what, I guess, just for the TV ratings. I don't blame the players at all for not wanting to go. And LeBron was actually pretty vocal about that uh, early on. We haven't heard very much from LeBron recently. So I feel like he might've got a call from uh, either Mr. Silver or Mr. Paul telling him that they just need to take one for the team. Yeah, exactly. Like uh, you should not be, you know, we need all the money we can get right now. So please just stop slandering the all-star game this season because it's going to happen whether you like it or not. Uh, I, if it were me, like I don't need it this year. I think the fan bases would understand if they didn't have it, um, just vote the players in who would get the all-star and then they can look back on the end of their careers and say, Hey, you know, I had X amount of nominations and that's really what it's all about. You know, when you look back and you, you get, you know, four or five or whatever, however many all-star game nominations is really cool for Fred. I thought it was a unique opportunity to, cause I believe that would have been his first, so that would have been, would have been un- unique for Fred to have been able to get that a little bit more meaningful in the first one of his career. But certainly I feel like there are uh, nominations going to be coming down the pipe with the way that this player continues to develop. Absolutely. I mean, it, it will set up a, a great story when he does get a nod to the all-star game, just given, you know, his past undrafted Wichita state, you know, wasn't really, thought to be a, a full-time NBA player. And man, has he proved doubters wrong. And of course, his mantra, betting on himself. So one day, I think we'll see FEV in the All-Star game, but this year, and you know what? In a year where like, you know, there's been so many hurdles. Like if, I, if I'm Fred, it's like, you know, wait till uh, we can actually have a, a legit All-Star game and a legit All-Star experience. Yeah, fair. Mac, what you got in the docket for today? You got us go get your earwax taken out or <laughs> some, something like that? I don't know what that is going on. I gotta get my ear syringed, which might be the most relieving appointment there is. I don't even know what that is. You just they take a, a little uh, piece in your ear and they just like suck out all the wax, all the clog up in your ear. It's actually they're actually taking the wax out of your ear. Yeah, they'll just go to town and take it all out. So I'll be able to hear a little bit better. Oh, is that why you sometimes just don't answer me on the pod? Yes. When I say something to you. There we go, man. It's my, <laughs> hearing. It's my hearing. <laughs> you got too much earwax built. And up I, I accidentally uh, don't do this. If like if you if you, you jam uh, a Q-tip in there, I jam a Q-tip in there. Oh, and it's just they tell you to do that. Like if not to do that since like second grade. I know, and I just I just ah, I feel like I have to because it's like it's there. I can get it, but I guess you know. And I never knew this, but Q-tips are really just to get like clean the outer parts of your ears, right? But I always thought you just shove it in there and try and get the wax out. But I'm not a big Q-tip guy. I really yeah. like get in there. Like I usually, I'll like wash it out in the shower or whatever. But I don't know. It's ear maintenance. I feel like uh, it's an ear maintenance day for me, man. Yeah, somebody's just gotta let me know. Like if I've got some wax buildup and you can see it, just tell me. Yeah, and, and then we'll take care of it. But I'm not yeah. aware or privy to that, and I've never gotten to a point where I'm gonna stop hearing. So. <laughs> I can't hear anything, so that's a big positive. Thank you for oh. listening to this episode of Leafs Pod. Uh, follow us on Twitter at Kent State Pod, at McCarthy 95 at HockeyPodNet, at Leafs Pod, and we'll catch you next time.